This is Archive Atlanta, episode 132, Scouting. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week we're talking about scouting, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, something that many of us American children may have memories of, if not participating, then at least eating the cookies. I personally was never much of a joiner. I'm still not. So while my mom did put me in brownies, which I think is like one of the first levels of Girl Scouts, I never made it past that. My brother was a Cub Scout and I think a Boy Scout. So I have like some sparse memories of going to those events. What I found interesting about Atlanta's history of scouting is that it's really a four-part story. The story of white Girl Scouts and black Girl Scouts and white Boy Scouts and black Boy Scouts. And unsurprisingly, the year that these groups begin very wildly. So this week, I'm going brief with the research, but covering each of these four stories, how these groups started, when they started, who started them, um, their camps, and then a few fun stories from history. Let's start with a quick general history of scouting. The Boy Scouts are a British invention started by Robert Baden Powell in 1908, and it was sort of an accident. While serving in the British Army in 1899, he wrote a book called Aids to Scouting. It was sort of like a manual filled with personal stories, light military skills, and even games. When he returned home in 1903-ish, he found that groups had been using this manual to form Boy Scout troops. His sister apparently led the subsequent Girl Scout movement just a few years later. So this is all happening in Europe, across the pond. But it was brought to the U.S. by newspaper man William Boyce, and he incorporated the Boy Scouts of America in 1910. The Girl Scouts' history begins in Georgia, actually, with Juliet Gordon Lowe. Born in a privileged Savannah family, she met and married William Lowe in Europe. Now, they couldn't have children, and when William died in 1905, he left most of his estate to his mistress, only giving Juliet a monthly allowance. Now, she actually contested the will, and she ended up getting a revised, fairer share. And so here she is. She's a wealthy widow at the turn of the century. You know, women don't work at this time. And so she begins to travel Europe, and she works on her painting and sculpting. In 1911, she met Robert Baden-Powell, the Boy Scouts guy, in Scotland. And inspired, she formed a female youth group where girls could learn British history, knot tying, animal care, um, and wool spinning. And while these sound weird to us in modern times, this was the Industrial Revolution. And so most little girls were working in factories. The hope was that these skills could keep them out of factories, but still able to earn money for their families. Juliet formally created the Girl Scouts in 1912 stressing, quote, the accomplishment of personal goals and individual independence while maintaining strains of traditional feminine activity, end quote. In case you're wondering the hierarchical structure of the Girl Scouts, um, it's really based on grade level. So it starts with daisies and it ends with ambassadors. And for Boy Scouts, it's less tied to age. They start as scouts and the highest rank there is an Eagle Scout. Even though it was started by a Georgia woman, the Boy Scouts came to Atlanta first. Camp number one was based out of Fort McPherson and had 18 to 22 members, all boys between the ages of 12 and 18. It was led by Robert Cherry from Company C, 17th Infantry, who was also the scoutmaster. They had their first meeting in a hall on Campbellton Road. In 1910, the group had made its first practice march from Fort McPherson to Cascade Springs, a distance of six miles. Months later, they hiked from Fort McPherson to Marietta, which was 40 miles. 
So this first troop had a lot of PR to do, mainly convincing Atlanta parents that the Boy Scouts were not a military organization and or connected to the military in any way. This was hard to do because not only did they form from Fort McPherson, you know, they're being led by an active member of the military, they're doing marches, which was like basic military stuff. So, and this is why it didn't really work out. So the, this early Boy Scout troop in Atlanta really died off. There was another troop that formed in Oakland City, but parents just weren't into it. So it never really went anywhere. That changed in December of 1911. Hamilton Douglas Jr. was from a prominent legal and political family. Uh, his grandfather founded Atlanta Law School, his dad had a private practice, and his aunt was, was a congresswoman. After graduating from Vanderbilt in 1908, he returned home to Atlanta and he found an interest in the Boy Scouts organization. So by 1911, he had 20 interested boys, all sons of prominent white men in the city, and they were all chomping at the bit to get started. They're just waiting on a delayed shipment of uniforms. Douglas became scoutmaster of troop number one, and then the following year, there's a troop number two led by Frank Margolin, um, and then there's one in the West End led by R.C. Foster. The Atlanta area Boy Scouts grow at a really steady pace over the decades. Like by 1938, 1940, there are 3,500 members. In January of 1927, the then recent president of the Atlanta Council of Boy Scouts, Albert Adams, passed away. Now, Bert Adams was an active Rotarian. He was a Boy Scout supporter. And so the Scouts decided to name their future camp after him. 84 acres of land were purchased in Cobb County. So today, this is the area that is just across from Cumberland Mall. Um, when you're going on Cumberland Parkway and you're facing the mall, it's to your right. It's all apartments and houses now, so it's, it's almost impossible to picture it. Back then, it was just rolling green woodland with a beautiful lake. With 1,600 active scouts in the council, the fundraising campaign took only two months. It included donor dinners, a huge parade through Atlanta, and with those funds, the Burt Adams Camp was built and dedicated in June of 1927. It would serve local Boy Scouts until 1960 when it moved to Covington, where it still exists today. The Girl Scouts came to Atlanta next, in February of 1915. Miss Louise Colick had experience with the organization from Chicago, and while there was a Daisy Troop, so this is kindergarten and first grade, at Rock Springs Church on Rock Springs Road, that was considered outside the city limits of Atlanta, so didn't really count. The following year, both Juliet Lowe and Colick visit Atlanta to speak at a conference. By 1921, there were eight white Girl Scout troops scattered around the city. Fort McPherson had one, Bolton, St. Luke's, um, North Avenue Presbyterian, Central Congregational, and Girls High, just to name a few. That same year, there was a call from Miss Albert Thornton to unify the local troops, and so she calls this meeting at her house to select staff and executive board. Mrs. Holland is the president, Mrs. Inman is vice president, and then follows a long list of high society wives that, of course, we do not readily know their first names. So they set kind of a local council rule. Um, all new Girl Scout members had to be at least 10 years old. Troop leaders had to be at least 21. And lieutenants had to be at least 18. It would also cost you 25 cents a year to join. And the uniforms were a flat $4 fee. When the United States entered into World War I in 1917, the Girl Scouts responded by tending to Victory Gardens, which I talked about briefly in last week's episode. They volunteered as Red Cross ambulance drivers. They filled in as nurses during the influenza epidemic. They sold war bonds. They, they really sort of acted like 
a military organization, which is what they fought, you know, PR-wise in the beginning. The secretary of the U.S. Food Administration called Juliet Gordon-Lowe during this time. He thanked her for the Girl Scouts' great work um, in food conservation. And First Lady Mrs. Woodrow Wilson actually accepted the title of Honorary President of the Girl Scouts. Turns out, fun fact, all future First Ladies, including Michelle Obama, would also take that honor. 1917 was also the first year that the infamous Girl Scout cookies entered the American lexicon. It began when the mistletoe troop in Muskogee, Alabama, baked cookies and sold them at the high school cafeteria for a service project. I expect that no American listener needs an explanation about Girl Scout cookies. I think I have a box in the freezer right now. But do know that Atlanta-area Girl Scouts had been selling them since the end of World War I. They, you know, stories about them pepper the newspapers. By October of 1921, the Southern Field Director for the Girl Scouts makes her headquarters in Atlanta, and the Girl Scout camp was established in Rome, Georgia. In 1924, there was another camp established in Mableton, which was made possible by a 40-acre donation from the Civitan Club. They called it Camp Civitania, if I'm saying that right. Um, And the best part is, similar to the Boy Scout camp, it's still around today. They just call it Timber Ridge Camp. The story of African-American Boy Scouts in America starts around 1910. Black boys were typically portrayed as lazy and not quote-unquote Boy Scout material. The literature at that time, distributed throughout the organization, had a lot of racist blackface cartoons and depicted black boys as backward and rural. In 1910, the decision on race and membership was left to local councils who could decide who they wanted to admit. And similar to the way that federal programs left to be enforced by local governments, you can imagine how that went in the South. But it's not just that. There were little to no local councils in the Southeast United States where the majority of African-American boys at that time lived. So at some places throughout America, it was mainly rural troops that would allow black boys, mainly because there's such a low population. You know, they just needed as many members as possible to establish a troop. And so they were more open to integrating. In the mid-1920s, Boy Scouts of America created an interracial service to encourage the creation of more Black troops in the Southeast and Native American troops on reservation boarding schools. So while that initiative worked, these troops were still segregated, and they remained segregated until the 1960s. The first Black Boy Scout troop in Atlanta formed on March 31st, 1931, and it was called Troop 90. Based out of First Congregational Church in downtown Sweet Auburn, Both John Hope Jr. and Reverend W.J. Faulkner worked to get this established. But it was taken over the finish line, so to speak, by Dr. H.R. Butler and attorney A.T. Walden. Morehouse professor B.T. Harvey was the first black scoutmaster. And more troops soon followed. So with two more the next year, there was one at Wheat Street Baptist that formed, and there was one at the Atlanta University Laboratory School. Soon after, there was a total of 73 quote-unquote colored troops in Region 6. And the interracial development group chose to meet at the Ansley Hotel in Atlanta that same year, selecting two scouts from Troop 90 to be their official conference aides. So there's a lot of nuance in the discussion of Black Boy Scout troops in this early period. A lot of it is tied to respectability politics. For upper-class Black Atlanta, the Boy Scouts are a chance to steer young boys in the quote-unquote right direction. Um, But because scouting consisted of kind of trade skills, It was acceptable to the white community to have black people in scouting. And it's hard to explain, but like even in 1932, there was almost a weird sense of pride in the newspapers about how the Ku Klux Klan 
endorsed the formation of black scouting troops, and they thought it was a great thing for the race. By 1934, the first two local African-American Eagle Scouts were named. The mothers of these boys formed their own booster club in the home of Carrie Herndon Connolly. Now, I've posted about her house before because it was actually listed in the Green Book as a safe place for Black travelers to stay in the Jim Crow South. And let me tell you, this woman sounds incredible. If you Google her, um, she does everything, but she's also described as the mother of Atlanta's Black Boy Scouts. In 1940, a camp for African-American Boy Scouts was established on land given by J.K. Orr, who was a white man. $5,000 were used to purchase 541 acres along the Atlanta-Macon Highway. And in that year, there were 23 colored troops in the district with a total membership of 423. By October of 1959, so like almost two decades later, um, the camp is still going and then 25 mothers from the scouting uh, troops meet to dedicate a shower house at the camp. The first all-African-American Girl Scout troops were established in the country as early as 1917. Troops for disabled girls were also formed that same year. Uh, The earliest Latina troop formed in 1922, and they even had Japanese internment camp troops for girls there. The first Black Girl Scout troop in Georgia didn't form until March of 1942 in Fort Valley College. Now, Atlanta would not get its own troop until the following year, 1943. And we have to thank Basiline Usher for that. I have had her on my episode list forever, so hopefully one day I can give you more details about her life. But after leaving her principal position at David T. Howard, she created the Black Girl Scouts in this city. She gathered troop leaders and 100 interested girls who went on to form four troops known collectively as District 5, um, written with a Roman numeral. So there's exhibits and books and pieces that have been written about that district. In May of 1944, they celebrated their first anniversary with a parade on Hunter Street, today Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, um, where they walked from there to the Morehouse campus. The same summer, they had a day camping event at Gammon Theological, which is today the new schools of Carver, and they also camped at Lincoln Country Club, which I covered in an episode about two weeks ago. By the 1950s, the Girl Scouts led the charge to integrate troops, and in 1951, there were more than 1,500 racially integrated troops and more than 1,800 exclusively black troops in the South. This was a big deal. Uh, In 1956, Dr. Martin Luther King gave them a shout out and called the organization a, quote, force for desegregation, end quote. It was not until after the Civil Rights Act that some Boy Scout troops began to integrate. Although there remained many all-black troops, not always by law, but by choice. So there was something to be seen where it's like, listen, we, we've survived this long without you. You know, we've dealt with all your backlash. We've dealt with your exclusion. Why, do, why would we now you know, join together? It was not until 1974 that the council in North Carolina and then others in the Deep South would fully integrate their Boy Scout troops. So there you have it, the short story of scouting in Atlanta. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to your podcast. You can also visit the Patreon link in the show notes to support the podcast. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.